Well, good morning, my friends. Welcome to episode number five of The Social Leader. My special guest today, super honored to have Mayor Quentin Lucas with us. You are not going to want to miss this conversation about social leadership, about life in Kansas City when people are hunkering down under COVID. We'll talk a little bit about coming out of that situation and get a deeper understanding of Mayor Quentin and his leadership. Don't go away. Well, welcome. Mayor Quinn. Hey, how are you? And I got sound now. It was out for a minute. I'm happy to be with everybody. Good morning. Well, hopefully we're actually live now. We had some COVID gremlins, it seems like, in the internet. Well, good morning. Uh, as I was saying when we first started, my my special guest today is Mayor Quentin Lucas. He is the former third district councilman, our district right here in Kansas City on Troost Avenue. He's a law school professor, a community leader, 55th mayor of Kansas City. And uh, Mayor Lucas, we are super honored to have you on the program today. Thanks so much for being here. It is great to be with you all. Thank you all for watching and listening today and certainly supporting Reconciliation Services. Absolutely. Thank you for being a long, long time supporter of Reconciliation Services and our work on Truce. Well, I want to jump in today because I know that our time is really precious and that you've got a lot going on, obviously, right now. But I want to talk a little bit about when everything feels out of order because we are under a stay at home order in Kansas City and across the country. Um, You've got so many stories, I'm sure. I'd love to know from your perspective, what do you see that's bringing us together right now, Mayor Lucas? You know, I think that there is this amazing thing across all ages um, where people recognize and they actually care about um, their neighbor, somebody that they don't even know. I mean, I've been impressed how many 20-somethings, you know, teenagers have talked to me about, now I'm doing this because I think it's important to keep somebody else in my family, somebody else in my community safe. And so I know a lot of the news attention is about negativity. We're talking about a virus, mm. we're talking about death. But I think as all of us know, in many ways, when you go through these journeys, you see what is the greatest in a lot of people in our community and, and uh, in ways that we didn't know before. So I've been really impressed by that and proud of it. You know, I know that you're all over the city and that everyone's asking you um, for your leadership and asking you to kind of keep that steady hand. Is there a story in the last couple of weeks that really stands out to you about how Kansas City and our region has really come together in this time of crisis? Something special about our region and our city that you've seen? You know, I I think I'm going to go all the way back to when we announced our stay at home orders. Um, And I was pretty aggressive and out front early on Kansas City doing a lot of these emergency orders. We we canceled large events, all types of stuff. But we recognized that we needed to speak with one voice. And that was that core four press conference. Myself, the leaders of Johnson County, Kansas, Wyandotte County, Kansas, Jackson County, Missouri. Um, 1.5 million people represented by that group. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't know the demographics, right? Ed Eilert is an older white dude, David Alvey a little younger, Frank White about double my age, uh, a man of color. And you know, it was interesting because 
all of us came from our different traditions, our very different politics, and said this is a big deal. And I mm -hmm. think that the community know it was a big deal. At a time, perhaps, when the national and state conversations were a little more fluid, uh, I think it made it uh, real positive, and it showed the community it was time for us to, to get together. So I was proud of that step. Yeah, you know, I remember I actually left for spring break, drove to Colorado, like a lot of folks in the region do. I had an emergency board meeting on the way to Colorado. I saw the mountains in the far distance, and I turned right around with my family. We came back within 24 hours, and it was it was a whirlwind. And I remember just thinking to myself, we're going to have to close Thelma's Kitchen. We're going to have to close all of our partner guest corporate sponsor work that we do at Reconciliation Services. This is going to have a massive impact on the community in terms of hunger, in terms of stability, in terms of, you know, just the kind of life that we're going to be living no matter how long it lasts. And I remember being really impressed that you and all of those folks that you named you, you stood up and you took the bull by the horns and you said, this is what we're going to do. And you did it with a positive spirit. And I really appreciated that leadership that you offered. And I think it did bring comfort to the community. You know, it makes me think, though, as a relatively young mayor and, mm -hmm. you know, at the outset, really at the very tippy top of your very first term as mayor in Kansas City, you know, you immediately faced this massive pandemic crisis that has economic impact, civic impact impact on all the things that you care about. How do you decide in your leadership who to listen to, what voices are important, and sort of on a personal level, Mayor, what helps you keep that true north when you are leading right now? So, you know, first on who I listen to, um, you know, I do think that you always, actually I'll start with a true north point. Uh, whether I've been in office, whether I was practicing law, whether I was a student, you do have to always remember why you're there. And I ran for office largely because I wanted to make sure that we were looking out for the most vulnerable in our society, in our population, and in our city. And, you know, it has been challenging throughout this process. On the day we did the stay at home order, the number of calls I got from people that said, what in the heck are you doing? Mm -hmm confused. This is the worst thing ever. Lucas, I thought you had a future and you'll be a one-termer. Um, you know, and then as we've continued, particularly now, even to this point, when people are saying, we need to open up society immediately, you're strangling every business and all of that. You have to remember who you're looking out for. And you have to think back to that vulnerable person. You have to think back to the fact that there are, and you work with them too, Father Justin, mm -hmm. there are thousands of Kansas Cityans without good access to health care, who have pre-existing conditions, who don't have a regular relationship with a physician. Mm -hmm. And I can't just say is, you know, let the strong survive. That's the opposite of my faith tradition. That's the opposite, even if you don't have a, a faith tradition, that's the opposite of, I think, what core humanity is. Mm -hmm. and I think that we continue to be in a position where we can help save lives, help improve lives. And I think that is outweighing some of the costs. Now, I know that there are substantial economic costs and indeed we work in the business of trying to address those as well. But I know that those are the sorts of things that we can address tomorrow, next week, next year. What I can't address is somebody who's lost a loved one. What I can't do is cure some of those things where we've already had dramatic tragedies. And so that's really been my guidance. In terms of um, the data we use, I listen to experts, I listen to physicians, I listen to healthcare people. 
I think that's what we are supposed to do. I get politics. I know uh, I won an election or two, but at the same time, I think it's more important that we're listening to them and we figure out the politics thereafter. Yeah, you make some really good points. If I could push you a little bit, I, you know, a lot of us who have been in leadership, particularly people who are senior leaders or divisional leaders in Kansas City, or even community leaders, particularly in the third district where people are really struggling to survive and succeed, you know, leaders always face crisis and they say, you know, it, it's lonely in leadership. Um, are there some practices that you keep on a daily basis as a leader that help you keep your focus personally? Are there one or two things that you could recommend to people who are listening in the community who are trying to lead right now? How do you keep going? What keeps you strong? You know, one of the parts of our order that I think was important, and I, I've kind of made sure I fought for this, was the ability for people to go outside, to go to the parks, to, to get fresh air. Um, that has always been important to me. You know, if you follow me on social media, you see I post a lot of pictures of sunsets. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's because I'm hokey. Maybe it's because I'm from the middle of the country and I don't have a mountain or an ocean to stare at. But it, it gives me this moment to think about the world as being bigger than me, right? You see the sun, you see the clouds, you, the, you see the storms coming. And you realize you're but one small part of this gigantic ecosystem of things and time. Mm. And I think finding those moments of peace are essential to me almost every day. And I mm. always try to do that. Um, you know, there was a gentleman online, as social media folks are wont to do, who engaged with me and said, how dare you actually be posting pictures of sunsets when people are struggling? Well, you know, and I responded to him and noted that, uh, you know, Sunsets are something that all of us share. You can be having the cruddiest day, the happiest one, the richest person, the poorest. It's something that's uniting us all and something greater than us. And so that's usually been a good thing for me. In terms of relationships, um, you know, I like to talk to my mom sometimes and, and get her, her view on the world. She, you know, she's not an insider. And so it's usually just a pretty direct opinion, which is something that I, I enjoy. And then finally, um, you know, we all have special people in our lives and making sure you're taking time to care about what it is they're talking about. I think where leaders go wrong is when we start to shun our families. Um, you know, I, you, I see some who start to shun their children and say, I don't have time over the next six months because it's the biggest deal ever. Right. Um, can't do that. You know, you have to realize that uh, part of you being at your best is making sure that those who care the most about you are part of your world too. And so I try to make sure I remember that. Yeah, you know, you bring up some good points. I think the idea of just really keeping centered and remembering like what is good, what is beautiful, what is true, and keeping those things in front of us as leaders help us, you know, helps us to keep a perspective. And then also, you know, just talking about family and talking about priorities. You know, when we were going into this COVID crisis, and really as you were beginning your term as mayor, there were a lot of priorities that were on the table. Everything from workforce development to housing to free transit, all the you know work with small business, everything that you had sort of on the docket and queued up and ready to go. Um, as we come out, no matter how much time it's gonna take, whether it's the third or the 15th or later, when we come out of this COVID pandemic and the lockdown, what do you think are the opportunities? You know, we went into this 
this whole situation with a lot of priorities, particularly around diversity, equity, inclusion, business, you know, those big weighty priorities. And people tended to say, oh, we can't do that. We can't do free transit. Yeah. We can't do better with housing. Do you see an opportunity right now to kind of shift the priorities in Kansas City coming out of this? And if so, which ones and how? Yes, I, I think we do have that opportunity. And, um, you know, the way we do it is this, that everyone recognizes how connected we are. Everyone also recognizes that our federal government, our state and our local governments are bailing out businesses with the highest paid CEOs and individuals who are at the opposite side of the income scale. And so I think it creates more of a conversation around what's important for our communities. Um, I appreciate that conversation and I think it will encourage us to say, all right, um, for example, you know, a lot of our social services um, organizations, you know, took it on the chin over the last month and a half. Yeah. We're not able to have big fundraisers, have not been able to do any number of things. But I think certainly in Kansas City, as we were dealing with this crisis, we said, well, gosh, what about the homeless population? What about support for them? What about, you know, summer activities as a society reopens and parents go back to work, but perhaps you don't have summer school classes that are meeting. I mean, what what does that all look like? And so I think the fact that so many of us will need to address that is uh, an important moment for us to sit back and say, OK, what's worked? What has not I think another thing that is vital for us is to uh, say and to evaluate um, how we do things. Um, you know, a lot of us have had our workplaces change. Even those of us who were office-based workers are often sitting at home or thinking. It gives you, in some ways, more time, less commuting time, that sort of thing. My thought might be, how do we turn that into something positive? How do we recognize that um, with perhaps less travel time, less in, in person at the office time, we can find more time for our nonprofits, we can find more time for our community? That's the sort of work that I think is before us now. And uh, I think we should try to push that and see how that impacts us in different areas. You know, one of the things that you mentioned was just the struggle of businesses, the struggle of nonprofits. And I know reconciliation services, there's sort of this double sided coin. On the one hand, you know, we're we're seeing over 5000 people this year. We literally are serving over 350 meals every single day, Monday through Friday. That's that's more than double what we were serving in terms of hungry people. And the other thing is I'll share with you that, you know, we kind of have our ear to the rail, maybe in advance of the statistics, because we see who's coming. And it's not just the homeless. There are actually a lot of voices that are going unheard. You know, just yesterday, I spoke with a woman who had been a maintenance tech at a big law firm here in town. She got let go. I spoke with another person who is a painter, uh, solopreneurs. And then, of course, we have the homeless and those who um, aren't sheltered and can't uh, shelter in place. As you think about all of those voices in Kansas City, do you think that there are some voices that haven't been heard yet or that aren't being heard loud enough in the media? And which ones do you think need to be heard more clearly? You know, I think you do make an outstanding point, which is that we forget the middle a lot in America because I think since the 1980s, we've all seen this giant middle class, which our country does have. Mm -hmm. um, we tend to not think about people that are still struggling each day to stay where they are, to um, take care of them, their families, and that it's a much bigger group than one might imagine. And so, you know, I think that we need to hear from any folks that are 
or in essence, trying to, I'll just say, we need to hear from the storytellers. Mm. We need to hear from the people that actually are sharing the messages of our community. You know, one thing that I think is lost in this political moment is that a lot of days there's this, um, are you with the president or are you on another side? Do you see things, you know, this way? Is this whole thing a hoax overdone? Is this the world's greatest calamity of all time? Um, you know, I'm not going all Mayor Pete on you and saying just be in the middle. But what I am going to say is, you know, it's important for us to, to listen. It's important for me to listen. You know, I gave out my cell phone number to everybody in Kansas City a while back. And I've been asked a few times whether I regret it. And the answer is no. Now, yeah, it's obnoxious that people were texting all hours and all of that. But, you know, you just put your phone on silent and keep living. Um, but the thing that's interesting about it for me is how many people even if they want me to open up everything tomorrow, really just want me to hear their story, to hear mm. about the challenge, to hear how tough it is to take care of their two or three children right now. And for me, that allows me to say, yeah, I may not do the remedy that you want, but that doesn't mean that doesn't allow me to look more broadly at what are other remedies that are good for you. You know, we've, we have this uh, small business relief fund that was in the paper for not paying out money enough, which is the nature of government. Right. Uh, but you know, the reason that fund was created, and that's one of my proudest steps too along the way. As soon as I started issuing orders about shutting down our economy, I recognized there'd be people, not that needed, you know, $300,000, but they needed 10,000. They needed 5,000 that said, well, you know what? Yeah, maybe I can handle being shuttered, but I still have to pay my insurance on the building this month, or I, I still have to pay my utilities. It's that barber somewhere. It's, it's someone like that. And those are the sorts of people I want us to hear more for, from because I think that's where so many of our answers in society can happen. You know, what encouragement would you give to the side hustlers? I mean, there's a lot of people who don't yeah. officially yet have businesses. And particularly in the community that we serve, you know, low and moderate income families, there are a lot of people who have that side hustle. That's actually the difference between making rent, getting food, getting medicine, even with the support that they might get from a social service agency like ours. What do we do about those folks who were mowing lawns and you know who had those side hustles going? What would you say to them and what resources are gonna be available for them as they move forward so their families can survive and succeed? You know, um, I'll, I'll get a little egghead on this and then I'll come back to a normal answer. A few years ago, I had the, the fortune of um, studying abroad in, in South Africa, uh, an experience that in many ways changed my life because it was the first time, and I always knew about people who hustle, um, but over there, like 40% of the economy are people that are in what they call the informal sector, or in essence, are side hustling. You know, not on your normal tax rolls, not with business licenses, anything like that but are surviving each day, some well, some not so well. And it was interesting because the public policymaker there always has to work on ways to address that population. I think in America, we've always had it, but we've never addressed you know, so many of those people that there are folks that are, that are getting by. And so I would say there are a few things that I think we need to do. One of which is um, make sure that we don't create such a huge bureaucracy so that the only people that can ever sign up for any services or assistance are, you know, either big companies, people represented by lawyers or, or, or people that have that level of um, business sophistication that veers more towards the elite than it does everyone else. I think we also need to make sure that to the extent we're providing services, we're looking at individuals 
right? We're not just basing things on you've been a Kansas City business for three years and you paid all these taxes and that sort of thing. We need to say, how can we help people and meet more people where they are? I think another thing is that we need to um, really engage old fashioned community organizers and community institutions in helping us channel where we can find ways to assist. Um, City Hall, God love us, is not necessarily the best at handing out, you know, social welfare grants, nor should we be necessarily, right? I think working with organizations that are doing that important work is the best way we can make sure that we are not actually missing huge groups of people. Because, you know, all of us have our biases. When I come up with a grant or something, and if it was Quint Lucas handing it out, I would go to places that I know, people that I know, I'd ask my family folks and all of that, hey, where should I go? And that's great for people who are in my world and it's part of what diversity is about. But you want to get to community organizations because they see so many more. Right, Father Justin, you know, I, I've been at, at Thelma's Kitchen and talked to people who do not live right at 31st and Truth, right? right. That came from far away, some, somewhat surprisingly, right, who'd heard about it. And so those are the sorts of things, the organizations with which we need to work to make sure we're actually addressing these issues long term. Yeah, you know, I appreciate you bringing up Thelma's Kitchen because, you know, when we went into this crisis, we already had one in eight people in this city, particularly in Jackson County, who were suffering from food insecurity. We had, you know, massive wait lines for housing. And I know housing is something that you've really tried to champion. Um, and as this crisis has gone on, it's made national news. But I'll be honest with you, I've seen it locally, particularly in Kansas City, that there's a pretty significant disparity, particularly around racial lines in Kansas City. You know, what do you feel like we need to do in Kansas City specifically? What lessons have we learned and what should we change to address those systemic issues of inequity, of racial inequity and economic inequity? What do you think we do coming out of COVID-19 to try to address those things? You know, I think we have a few options. Um, one, we have to make sure that we don't move on too quickly. You know, American society has this way of saying, thank God that's over. Let's party. Right. Um, and and I get that. I mean, I'm, I'm human, too. I want to as soon as they tell me I can safely, I want to go to a baseball game, and take a vacation and all that. Um, but we need to make sure that we don't forget in some ways what got us here and we're missing the point if we say it's a virus right i mean you've you've studied theology much more than i have and you know so many of the you know the story of the plagues isn't necessarily just about Ooh, what an interesting plague right it's about human reactions to it human responses and what lessons we take from that and for us, I think we need to make sure that we see, okay, how was our health system inadequately prepared to address this issue? How did the virus as it struck our community and continues to strike our community hit people on a disproportionate basis? Frankly, how does the economic crisis that we're facing hit people on a disproportionate basis as it aligns with socioeconomic status and race? And then we need to think about, okay, how do we attack that? How can we make sure that if a lot of people are dealing with housing insecurity, for example, that we can give them enough actually stability such that they don't fear that one month of being behind on rent will mean that their family's homeless? How will we make sure that um, there will still be access to food in the event that um, you know the school lunches are harder to get? 
I mean, those are the sorts of things that we need to work on, and frankly, that we need to incorporate into our costs of government. One of the more controversial things I did, but I'm so proud that I picked this fight. Before, um, so we proposed the city budget in Kansas City before COVID-19 broke up. And then we got COVID-19 and everybody said, oh, all the money's gonna be gone. We need to change it and just vote last year's budget. I fought against that for one very simple reason, because we have worked so hard to get peanuts in the budget for things like affordable housing, for rental assistance. We got money for zero fare transit, not enough, but we did that. And I didn't want those gains to be lost because I was scared if we didn't get them in this budget, well, they wouldn't be in next year's because we don't have money. We wouldn't be in the year after the year after, right? Too often these things are placed on the back burner. We need to make sure they're priorities. Do you feel like some of the initiatives that you are really going to advance, like right now, the buses, as I understand them from our neighbors and from being right here at 31st and Truce, which is a major transit corridor during the COVID crisis. And I don't know for how long they're going to be free in Kansas yeah. City for people. Do you feel like in some way that the COVID-19 situation actually was able to advance some of the more um, innovative priorities that you wanted to bring forward with regard to housing and transportation? And how do you think that they're going to fare afterwards? Are they going to last after the COVID crisis lifts? You know, I, I have been impressed with um, how quickly we saw that we can adapt and we can find funding to support it. Um, you know, I, I think that some will last, some will not. But where they last, it's important for us to make sure they're pushed. Zero fare transit is going to be one of those priorities. Um, it's, I think housing, frankly, is going to be another one of those, those priorities. For the first time in years, the federal government has given us more money for affordable housing. How amazing is that? Right. What we have to make sure we do is resist the temptation to blow it quickly on one project or to the cutest deal that helps us fill a gap um, somewhere in downtown or even east of downtown and instead say, wait, 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 let's be methodical about whom we're building this for. I mean, that's the work that I'm most interested in. And I think that's what we're gonna need to do in connection with this going forward. You know, I appreciate you sharing those things, particularly about transit, because transit's such a major uh, piece of the workforce development uh, equation in Kansas City, but so also is violence. And gun violence is something that you've written legislation around. You, you've fought hard to try to reduce the level of violence First of all, tell me, you know, what have you seen in Kansas City with regard to violence since the stay-at-home order? Has it increased? Has it decreased? Is it staying the same? You know, what have you been able to tell about that? You know, I think there have been a few things. So um, broadly, violent crime is down in Kansas City, but like always, we have negatives in a few key areas, murders um, and domestic violence. And we've seen a spike in domestic violence, and we've seen um, a frustrating consistency in homicides. Um, that gives us one kind of clear answer that tells us that the issue of violent crime isn't necessarily about, you know, people being in a bar or the groups, but instead it's more internalized. It is perhaps the pain that you have in a community and it's actually the relationships and the friction that we have between different gangs and individuals and others that need for revenge. Well, that tells me is violence is much more internalized. It's much more than increasing police patrols, right? Because there ain't that much to patrol right now. Right. Instead, it's actually something that's more about um, 
getting inside those root causes of violence. Well, when we talk about root causes, though, Mayor, what about mental health? You know, I know that you and I have had lunch at Thelma's Kitchen before, and, you know, a lot of attention is paid to things that are incredibly important, like housing. But, you know, at the root of things, isn't mental health really being highlighted right now? And, and don't we as a city have a need to address the serious trauma and mental health issues? And, you know, how are we going to come out of this situation differently with regard to mental health? Isn't one of the funniest things that we've seen the fact that a lot of people who want us to reopen very quickly um, have been the ones that have said, well, and there's going to be an increase in suicides and mental health issues and all of that. I, I love the fact that people care about crime and mental health and all of that. We've got to fund it. We've got to fund it better. We have got to treat it on a level that's uh, commensurate with our investment sometimes in um, – in hospitals, I say hospitals versus public health, right? We don't spend nearly enough in public health, but we do actually spend a lot on the healthcare industry. We've got to say that it is as important for us to talk about mental health as it is to talk about health insurance and the insurance business of which, right, our, our biggest companies in this region, right, are leaders. And so I hope that the next step and the next phase is how do we expand access to those mental health services? Because you're absolutely right. We're um, you know, we're digging sideways in a ditch if we think that we're going to find some way out of it by just not investing in mental health. And by the way, that relates to everything ranging from those with housing insecurity, homelessness, violent crime, so many other issues that we deal with each day in our city. Yeah, I know you and I would agree on this, but it's hard to actualize these priorities that, you know, people go to jail not just because they commit a crime, but they commit a crime because there's something underneath that that they're that they're trying to solve or there's a trauma or there's an undealt with issue. People lose housing or lose jobs because they don't have the mental health stability to be able to maximize and sustain the opportunities. You know, it's good to teach a man to fish and you can build a pond, you can build them a cabin next to the pond and they can fish all day. But if they're too depressed to get up in the next morning and go fish after you leave, we've, we've wasted even all of that training. You know, I know that you and I agree on that and I know our time is also limited. So we'll have to pick this conversation up about mental health some other time. And I'd love to do that to figure out how are we gonna innovate and how are we gonna fund in the areas of mental health in the same ways that we've been trying to innovate and fund civic development and other priorities. But I want to kind of end on a personal note with you, Mayor Quinton, because you grew up, as you've shared very publicly, at times homeless. I've met your mother. She's a wonderful woman. But you told me when you were growing up that you guys lived in a hotel. You were really struggling. And in that, you, your childhood in that area was very much like those who are struggling to survive and succeed under the lockdown order outside of you know, employment right now in Kansas City. When you think about the kids that are like Quentin, that are out there right now, and the single moms that were that are like your mom, what what message would you give them? How would you give them some hope so that they can get through this crisis? Um, you know, there are always brighter days. And I say that knowing that, uh, you know, and I don't mince words usually, it, it sucks being poor. I remember going through a summer without any money and you're kind of hungry. You're just surviving. You're it's hot outside. You don't have any AC wherever you're staying. You're just living. Um, but if there's anything somebody takes from my story, I hope it is that, um, you know, there's, there is 
There's another side to this. There is something that is great about the path that you will go on. And frankly, to not ignore the resources around you. And you may say there are none, but walk into a Thelma's kitchen, walk into a public library when this is all done, catch a bus. Um, there are a lot more people around who care about your success than you may think. I was blessed to have them along the way. I wouldn't be here without them. It, it absolutely takes a village. And, uh, you know, know that there's that village out there. Well, Mayor, I appreciate you sharing that. As we wrap up, how does Kansas City look different? How does Kansas City look different, whether it's May 3rd, May 15th, or September 15th? How does Kansas City look different coming out of this crisis? Um, we understand the need to invest in public health more. I think we understand that we can take steps to try to save lives. I hope that also extends to the 150 homicides a year we have, the roughly 150 suicides we have per year. And I hope it gets us to take action. I think it will. I plan to be a leader in that conversation. And I hope more out there who've had the time to watch these things and to think um, engage as well. I do it as easy as sending us an email or a text, me or Father Justin. Um, we listen and we're happy to change the world, really. And it starts one step at a time. Well, Mayor Quinton, I'm looking forward to watching you in leadership. I know you have a huge passion for making a social impact, not just leading through same workaday, you know, life as the mayor. We're rooting for you. And I know that you you really have the heart of the, the constituents, the 5,000 people a year that Reconciliation serves, uh, but also you really have the heart of Kansas City. And I know you're going to innovate and lead us through this again. I, I appreciate your time today. It's an honor to get to talk to you. And uh, I want to invite our listeners to take you up on that opportunity to call you on your cell phone to share uh, the thoughts that you have uh, about Kansas City. So how do they reach you if they want to share their story like you talked about? You know, it's really easy. My email address is made to be easy. It is mayorq at kcmo.org, mayorq at kcmo.org. My cell phone number, I'll just say quick once. 816-679-1662. Shoot me a text and I'd always be happy to talk. Mayor Quentin Lucas, thanks so much for joining us today on The Social Leader. We'll look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, we'll see you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it right from Mayor Quentin Lucas. Had a great conversation about social impact, about leadership, about the future of Kansas City. Um, really a privilege to have him here. Remember that The Social Leader is a podcast that's sponsored by Reconciliation Services. RS is a community that's trying to bring about racial and economic reconciliation in Kansas City along Troost Avenue, one heart at a time. But more than that, we're interested in bringing people together, the rich, the poor, black and white, east and west, from all over the world who are interested in finding that third way, realizing that we're gonna have to move beyond the workaday world in order to make the social impact, to become that great city that we want to be. And now is our opportunity. Make sure that you smash that like button. I love when people are engaging on social media. Leave your comments on Facebook or on YouTube. And make sure if you wanna stay up to date with all of the social leader broadcasts that we're doing, make sure that you subscribe and like our YouTube channel, our Facebook channel, and all of the social media. Until next time, please stay in touch. Please help us at Reconciliation Services if you're nearby and join us next week for the next episode of The Social Leader.